All right, Freddie. Well, <laughs> welcome on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you. It's um, it's quite funny. We met years and years ago. Years ago, actually, at yeah. the base plan office when you were coming in to help us with our recruitment, yes. and then you went off and did your own thing. And then I watched you sort of get a bit of passion for the equipment rental industry and yep. work through. And next minute, you're one of the top recruiters with your own company in the same industry. So I thought I really want to understand like your passion and understand your story and then sort of get your your piece out there. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, actually. Awesome. So so your name's not Freddie, but everyone knows, everyone yes. in the industry knows you as Freddie. Yes. So what is your yes. real name? So my real name is Federica. As you can pick up from name and accent, I'm not from Sydney originally. I'm, uh, I'm Italian. So yeah, uh, full name Federica. But since I've got to Australia, people started calling me Freddie and I kind of like it, actually. I find it yeah, I think it's, it's actually a good name. So now I actually introduce myself as Freddie. I don't even bother saying what my name is. Well, it's, it's catchy, I think. It's catchier, yeah. They, they, hear that they, they hear that Freddie's coming in the building and then you walk in. That's right, because they can't really, they don't know also if it's a female or a guy. So sometimes they're like, oh, is that is that you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Wow. So that you said me. Italy. So what's yes. your original story? You moved to Italy from Australia, like to Australia from Italy? What yeah, was... so essentially um, I was uh, I was studying and practicing law when I was back home. So I was going through that, that path and I think at some point I realized I wasn't overly happy with the trajectory I was taking. I wasn't really satisfied with what I was doing. And at the time I was just exploring options and I thought, let's go to Australia just um, for a few months, as uh, most people do. They come here for a few months and then they realize it's actually a, an amazing place to live. Um, so the original plan was to come here for a couple of months, learn a little bit of English, and then I don't know, maybe going back home and get a different job, maybe a job in a corporate. Who knows? Yeah. Wow. And so what you here for a few months and then you caught the bug, yeah? And you so I was, stay. Yeah, I was here for a few months and then a couple of months became three, six, a year. And then you're starting to get acquainted and you started to get new friends. You start to, you know, starting understanding the culture a little bit more. And I felt that there was still a few things that I wanted to achieve before going back home. And then, well, I'm nine years in and I don't really have any intentions of moving back. I mean, I go back home for holidays and stuff, but it's here is where I see my life. Wow. So what was your yeah. first job when you, when you got here? <laughs> well, my first job, um, so essentially when I got here, I couldn't really speak English. So uh, my first job, I got a job in a, in a restaurant. So I was like polishing. I couldn't really speak, like I said at the time. So it was like polishing glasses, polishing cutleries and doing that sort of stuff. And um, it wasn't a well-paid job. So I was finishing that one and I was going to another one. So I was having sort of two jobs for a little while. Um, and again, I was really grateful because at the time <laughs> I had no you know, command of the language whatsoever. So I needed to start um, somewhere. And yeah, I think I worked in hospitality for my first four, four years. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. what's it like coming to Australia, not being able to speak English properly and then sort of getting into the community? Like, how, did, well, how was that struggle? That, well, it was, the thing is, I was coming from a completely different background where I was like walking into like law courts and I had a, a command of my language that was completely different. So when you're coming here and you realize you can't even crack a joke or you can't really understand what the person in front of you is saying, that's the moment where you're like, right, it, it, it hits you in a way because you can't communicate properly and you know that your work perspective are like 
fairly limited. Um, and so I went to English schools, um, was listening to, you know, various podcasts, movies and stuff, but it, it was a process. Like you don't learn a language just like that. And mm. if you don't speak, you can't, you can't have, obviously the, the choice in terms of what you're going to do are going to be fairly restricted. So it took me a little bit. This podcast episode was sponsored by Boom and Bucket. I love that name. Such a good name for a company, Boom and Bucket. Boom and Bucket was started by two ex-Caterpillar employees and is the easiest way to buy and sell heavy equipment. If you're selling, Boom and Bucket will inspect, photograph, market and sell your machine so you can focus on your rental business. If you're looking for new equipment, Boom and Bucket has hundreds of inspected and guaranteed machines that you can browse and buy from right on your mobile phone. See why the average buyer gives Boom and Bucket a 9.5 out of 10 review. Check them out at boomandbucket.com. Yeah, and, and, and definitely studying law as well. I That's know. it. From, from that, imagine when I was telling my mom, yeah, I'm polishing cutleries in a restaurant. She was like, what are you doing there? Just come back here and just, you know, continue what you've been starting for and just get a proper job. But sometimes, you know, you just, uh, the choices that you make when you are, 20 are completely different from the choices you would have made when you're 25 and then or 26 or whatever and then you realize that is not what i want to do i actually want to see what else is out there and explore other options mm. well, yeah. and so how did you eventually get involved with the equipment rental industry so this is uh, this is funny because one day uh, as most people i was just minding my own business and i got a call from a recruiter and they asked me would you consider a career in this field which is something that i never even thought about like it wasn't really uh, a job or a career that i was thinking uh, of so i started my first job with uh, this recruitment agency and the guy i was working for was heavily involved in equipment rental which is, again, another industry which you wouldn't even think of. Like you don't really think of machines and renting machines to projects and construction. It's just like, it's, it was something that was so alien so far away to, from, from what I was thinking mm. and doing. Um, I started working with this guy and I got to learn a little bit more about what you know the, the process entails, getting a little bit more uh, of interest about recruitment and the industry itself, uh, which is actually a really, really good industry. And I you know, sticked around five almost six years in the same industry i like it a lot yeah well that's what i said at the beginning so yeah. i when i first met you and then i see you today i can yeah. tell you've got that bug like you you're, you're invested in the industry in solving problems so yes so what was your take on the industry when you first joined never really learning much about it and like what's your take now how's that sort of changed the perception so when I originally joined, it was it was a bit traumatic to be to be fair. Like recruitment itself is a job where you need to make a, a huge number of cold calls every week, and in a way, I felt at the time my level of English, my accent, like I found it being overbearing. And so when you're talking for the first time with guys in an industry, guys or girls, but they English is a first language, they, and they also. Um, they, they've got their things to do, they're busy. So you need to call them and grab their attention and get them to give their time of the day. I found it extremely, extremely daunting. Um, and it was, it, it took me a little bit to just realize, but sometimes, like I said, you catch somebody on a, ba on a bad day or maybe they, they're busy, they're doing something, the response is not what you would expect. Mm. Uh, and that can come with a little bit of a, little bit of a shock when, when it comes to keep going yeah. and, and, and keep doing that. So yeah. And then fast that was my first, I suppose, yeah, first, um, first few months and stuff. Fast forward, 
six years. Um, Probably because I, I, I've been in this industry for a long time. I started to make real connection. I kept in touch even with people that I was introduced to five years ago. So it's easy now to just to have maintained that contact and reach out to, to these people. Uh, well, now I feel pretty, pretty comfortable in calling and, and prospecting and asking questions and understanding where the struggle is and how can I help and what can I do better? How can I service them in a better way? Mm-hmm. It comes with self-confidence and I think I didn't have I didn't have five years ago. I'm still, you know, still learning that aspect, but definitely it changed. Yeah, well, I don't think, like if you went back five years ago, I can't really remember there being like a dedicated recruitment rep that was focused just on solving problems in the equipment in rental the equipment industry. Rental. Yeah. And so it's really a niche space that agencies, they, they, they put someone on and they, but they make them do lots of other industries at the same time. So they truly don't understand the needs of, of the customer. That's right. So I think the fact that you've taken that on and, and wanting to learn and grow with it, you, everyone's then going to know, oh, Freddie's that person that can help us in recruitment. So it's a great opportunity that you've taken on board. It is. It is. And like you said, that's true. It's not, it's so niche that most, um, especially larger agencies, they don't really focus on equipment hire. Um, but because I sort of found uh, really interesting to understand how it all works and how, how it all comes together from branch to operations to sales to, you know, the service part of the thing like I found it it is actually a very big industry if you think about that nationally also there's a number of businesses um, a number of companies they they are operating in multiple states so many different positions from within an organization that I can service and so if you keep your focus to Mm. to that then like I'm still learning I'm still learning day after day yeah, it's a good point. And I've actually spoken about this in the past. Like when people think of like careers in rental, they think that it's just renting equipment, but yeah. you've got sales, rental, service, service. parts, financial. So Everything. if you're super keen on, on parts. This podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices, allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices, making you more profitable. Pre-starts, risk assessments, maintenance, timesheets, dockets and asset efficiency all managed on one easy to use platform. Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au. And, and want to be a parts interpreter, you can go work for an equipment rental company that Absolutely. manages parts. Absolutely. If you're keen on servicing and maintaining equipment, you can be you can. a fleet manager and you can be a service manager and you could be a technician. If yes. you want to be someone that sells capital equipment, you can work for that division within that business. If you want Absolutely. to rent, if you want, whatnot, to, rent. If you want to be a, a, an analyst, because one of the big things around data uh, is, is with these equipment rental businesses, what's our utilization? So yeah. financial uh, analysts that can analyze the data, help the business like, there's so many careers there's so, mu- there's so many careers from within yeah. yeah and it even goes deeper because let's say that you're super keen on concrete you yeah. can go work at Kenner Tire at Concrete Care yes so there's there's all these sub industries and I think it gets this this negative connotation around oh it's just a career in rental but really there's a diverse opportunity of, of career opportunities within With- the industry as a, as, a, as a whole absolutely 
absolutely and there's like more in, some industries are heavily engineered based as well like there's and you wouldn't think you might think of just a general hire like you're renting everything but there are companies out there that are very specialized um somebody that you know in your earth moving your prop insuring like and it takes sort of a different uh, skill set to move across those those sort of businesses somebody that does access and focuses on high build, uh, high rise buildings it's a completely different person mm. from somebody that thinks of like groundwork and that sort of stuff there's there's a lot a lot of variety yeah. within higher and that's probably a good example so coats higher rebranded to be called coats because they didn't want to just be seen as just a coats higher organization because that they've got the engineering, got the engineering division, division which is uh I think it's site solutions or whatever they call it. So it's a great example of where Coates is trying to pivot to be more than just a hire company a hire. and actually a, a solutions-based organization to the to the broader industry. So yeah. when we talk about recruitment, like don't don't put the goggles on. I'm not getting faded by just uh, that one little segment. There's a huge a f- opportunity. And when you're trying to fill those roles, it can be very, right. very challenging for these organizations. That's right. That's right. In different states, they've got different challenges. Different branches have different challenges, and it's a matter of understanding where the struggle is and trying to find a person or somebody that will be will get excited by that challenge and will want to bring the business forward at the end of the day. Mm. So. so fast forward to today, you have your own company called uh, Talent Supplier. Yes. So talk me through that. Why did you start your own company? How has that gone so far? Where are you at right now? Yeah. So look, I after a few years, after say five years um, doing the same thing, I was working for a business and I at some point I felt like I lost a little bit of purpose. I was going to work, grinding day in, day out, getting my paycheck, kind of lost the spark a little bit and I hit the point where I was a little bit lost. So I was lost and I was thinking, what should I do? Um, the job wasn't fulfilling anymore for me. Um, I thought about a few options and uh, it's funny they asked me this question because that day um, I went on sick and I found a job opening for a really big national um, capital equipment hire business and I've applied for a position as their internal um, talent acquisition specialist. And when I saw that position, I'm thinking, wow, I'm actually, I've got great credentials for this one. Uh, that's what I do day in, day out. And I was, I was rejected. Um, I didn't even make it to first interview and that rejection in a way hit me because it made me stop and think, okay, I, w- what am I going to do? Like, am I allowing somebody else to take charge of what I can do or what I can't do? Or am I going to put matters in my own hands and decide the trajectory that I want to take? And I think as much as that moment was a low point, because I remember I was really, I, I, I don't know, I was just disappointed, but I think it was a good, it was a bit of a push for me to just like go and do your own thing. Um, and I think that was exactly the, the kick that I needed to just um, say, okay, I can do it. I know enough people in the business. Um, I am, I'm well networked. Um, I know what, how to do this job. That's what I do. And I can do it for myself uh, and be the shot caller, deciding who I'm going to work with, who I'm not going to work with, how am I going to work, from where I'm going to work, what marketing strategies am I going to put on, who am I going to hire, like, you know, having a complete control over, um, over what I'm doing rather than working mm. for somebody else. 
And then when you work with these big recruitment agencies, as you said, like it's obviously a numbers game sometimes. So it's like we need to get this many people put down. You have your targets, you have weekly, quarterly, uh, yearly targets. And it feels like you're working towards nothing really. Um, It's hard to do the same job over and over. And and that is something that also I talk about with my clients when they point out uh, account managers and BDMs are moving after two, three years. But realistically, if you're doing the same thing for two, three, four years, and it's exactly the same thing with no progression, with no end in sight, like it's, yeah, I, I understand why people are getting, you know, you, you can get disengaged and mm. therefore the, a good option will be moving or do something else. But you can see where the, the negative connotation comes for for companies that are working with recruiters, where they're working with a, a big corporate organization that's just throwing resumes at them yes. just for the, for the sake of hitting the numbers yes. rather than working with a boutique specialist that is actually not too focused about the numbers, but it's more focused around actually providing the right people. The right people. And the so right I think that's quality. a big advantage that you have for yes. that niche industry. And the thing is, now that I don't have a target on my head, um, I can decide, okay, instead of working 10 jobs, I'm going to work five and I'm going to make sure that I understand exactly the requirements about these five and I'm going to make sure that I'm going to fill these jobs. Because the other thing is, now I don't get paid for my time and time is a a very important resource. Um, So when you're working for an agency, all right, you flick CVs and you know that like you you still, you know, you're getting your paycheck and you just need to hit those financial or, or whatever targets you have. Whereas when it's your own, you start thinking what makes sense and what doesn't. And you start to walk away from things that are not making sense or from companies where you don't get the right level of engagement or where you know that you genuinely can't help them Mm. for different reasons. So I think it's um, working with somebody like working with myself that has that little that that thing on top where I just don't work hundred jobs at the time and I just try to focus on whatever I can deliver on. Because yeah. this is my reputation, you know. I can't just go around and say, yeah, I can do this, this and that and then not delivering what I'm saying because people will, will not use me again. Yeah, so so you applied for a more of a corporate role. You got rejected. You were sort of questioning. I was wh- questioning everything. <laughs> I'm like, I have been rejected for a job that I'm doing on a daily basis for a, a, an equipment hire business. Like I know a lot of people that could be a great asset. And I'm like, what, what does it say about me? And then, you know, when you start self-doubting yourself, you're thinking, am I in the right career? Am I doing the right thing? Like if I can't, like I can't even get a job in this industry. Like what have I done in the last five years? Mm. It's crazy. And so then you start your own business, Talent Supply. Yes. What does that first few months look like? Oh, the first few months have been tough. And look, uh, just by the way, whoever will say, oh, you open up your own business so you can just uh, finish at 2 p.m. and sipping cocktails in uh, Copacabana, that's not how it is. It's... uh, it's a, a number of hours of uh, uh, planning research. Um, it's a lot of disappointment. Um, in my first few months, for instance, I didn't make a placement. Not, I did not place people in jobs, which for me and for my industry and for what I do, it's, it was really, yeah, it was really bad. L- thinking and not, I was doing all the right activities, I was doing the right things, but things were not happening. And so weeks are going by, months are going by, and again, you're thinking, wow, what have I done? Like, am I doing things right? Um, sleepless nights where you're thinking, what can I do better? What can I do? What have I done? There wasn't like, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of struggle that was happening, especially in my first few months. 
I hit a few <laughs> few low points for sure. Mm. Um, I remember I've got a morning routine. I've got a dog, so I wake up, walk my dog and have breakfast. And sometimes I listen to motivational stuff. And I remember I was reading about a group of gold miners and they were, that was like back in the 80s. They were in America, they were find, searching for gold. Um, they were in this mine site for like many months and without getting anything out of it. It was a struggle every day, terrible weather, and they were about to quit. They were literally about to quit. The only reason why they weren't quitting is because their leader was going there every day, showing up with a big smile and say, today is gonna be the day. So every day he was coming there, we said, today is going to be the day. And they were showing up with the drive of trying and trying up until they found, you know, they found gold. Now, I don't know if it's a factual story or not, but it tells you a lot about you need to be resilient. And so I wrote down, today is going to be the day. And I post it, I just sticked it on my uh, screen. And every morning I was looking at that and I'm like, today is going to be the day. The day didn't come for, <laughs> for a long time, but then eventually one day, was the day. Yeah. And then you got your first placement. And then I got my first placement. And then when you start having, that started putting a bit of pressure off me because first placement means first money that comes in after my first initial expenses and licenses and stuff that I had to, to, uh, to pay up front and all that sort of stuff. So it comes in and then you feel a little bit more relaxed and then second, third, and then, you know, and then you start realizing it's a formula that works. You, it, it just a matter of keep doing what you know you can do mm. and it will work. I can't imagine the pressure you're putting on yourself, getting the rejection from that national organization yes. to then not getting a placement no. after multiple months of starting your own business. That's like you right. must've been really questioning what was going yeah. on. Yeah, because also it's not that I, that I left recruitment and started an online business where you don't know, you have no idea of how quickly you can do. Like I was doing exactly the same and I was, you know, I know people, I have contacts and I'm like, why am I, why things are not happening? But the problem is we, so, I mean, the problem and the beauty of this industry is that we're working with people. People are unpredictable. Things can change. And so when I was looking back at what was wrong and what was right, like some things sure were in my control. I could have probed more. I could have pushed more. I could have, but some of the things, you know, it was circumstantial. And so there wasn't really a real reason for me to think it wouldn't have worked. Mm. And I tried to kept positive attitude, even though sometimes it's, it's hard and it, it was hard. Yeah, you got your first one, yes. and then your second one came, yes. and then it just started. You got the formula, and then things got, just started clicking. You you kept on grinding, and then it grew out, and, and now you've got a system. Yes, and now I've got a system. Yes. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel. Um, it makes me feel really good. The thing is, I always tend to not get too excited. I always try to have a keep my level, my head on a normal, you know, stable level, um, and so. I still, I still have that post-it there and I still rock up every day thinking we need to make things happen. Um, you need to, it is a, a job that is very related to activity. And you, you know, when you were talking about the activity about recruitment agencies where they just, you, you have massive targets and stuff, in a way, it is a metric that works having KPIs for yourself, um, knowing you need to make a certain amount of calls to have a certain amount of people interested out of this certain amount, you need to like, Activity is the key. You keep that up, results will come. 
And I guess with recruitment, it's all relationship-based as well. Like It is. People aren't always looking for a job or whatever it might be. And yeah. They might be looking for a job in two years' time. There you go. So you've got to keep that relationship you over a period of time as well. So it's, it's almost like... Yeah, you just got to grind it out and just wait and then build that reputation and things will happen. And things will happen. And like you said, having touch points is key. Um, sometimes I know that I, spe- I speak with a good person. They're very happy in their job. Nothing to do about it. But then three months later, I send a message. Hey, how are you doing? Like n- nothing really work related. But I meant like I keep that constant touch point. So the day that they will finally say, all right, I'm open to explore other things. They'll call me as a first first thing. You know you're going to inspire a bunch of other recruiters to go out and start their own company now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, that will be the end goal, I think. Um, If you have a good enough network and you have... um, you, You need to be very resilient. That's the only thing that I want to stress is that when you work for an agency, even in terms of leads and stuff that comes through you have a lot of that things happening. Um, clients that call in, uh, colleagues that speak with people, you have past relationships that you can leverage. There's a number of things. I started with no database, essentially, because I started fresh. Like I had the database of people that I know from of, of LinkedIn and stuff, but I really had no contacts. Um, so you have no tat- database. When you do a new call call, you can't even reference, hey, you worked with this person before, like you have real no history there. So there is a lot a lot of uh, market mapping and client canvassing that goes with opening up your own business. And if you're not comfortable with that, the phone does not ring <laughs> and it won't start ringing like that. So mm. oh, that's great. you need to be prepared. Yeah, so so maybe just for the listeners, like what is the process for a recruiter to work with a company and then also from the employee side as well that might be looking for or a candidate side that's looking for a job because a lot of companies maybe haven't worked with a recruiter before so just want to explain both sides yeah so from a from a company's perspective i think uh, the problem that companies have is that they represent one brand their brand And the problem also is they don't really have time to do exactly what we said before, touch points. So they recruit when they have a need. And so when they have a need, their process is posting a job ad or just reaching out to their network, asking for internal referrals. Essentially, that's it. When you're working with a recruiter, you have this person or myself in, in, in this particular aspect, I can go and talk to a variety of people that I know I can tap on the shoulders of people that I don't know. So I can present you with options, not only with people that are currently looking, but also with passive talent. Um, And the thing that we do better, I think, as recruiters is candidate attraction, candidate assessment, because you need to assess whether they're good or not, and retention. We retain them. We retain them during the process. We make sure if the candidate is interested when they go at interview stage, they will be interested when we are offer stage. Sometimes businesses, they get lost. They have a lot of things to do. They are time poor. And maybe they have an interview. They don't touch base with the candidates for two weeks. And then, oh, yeah, let's have a second interview. By that time in this market, chances are the candidate will probably be gone. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that we do from a client side. And also from a candidate side, um, I suppose I can give them a lot of options in terms of businesses. I can advise them on market rates, what the culture of a business is, what businesses are good to work for, what businesses are not so good to work for. Um, so the, the most rewarding thing for me is when I get a message or a call saying, hey, Freddie, you know, we spoke like a few months ago, 
now I'm ready. I'm not, you know, I haven't really looked around. Have you got anything? Like they come to me first because applying for jobs is a stressful process. You don't know where your application is going through. You don't know who's going to handle that application. And you simply, sometimes if people are working, they don't have the time to scroll through 9,000 vacancies. And I say 9,000 because as of yesterday, there were 9,600 open jobs for BDMs in Australia advertised on SICK. It's crazy. Wow. Crazy. So we do the, we do the legwork on their behalf, save them time. And so I heard the way you charge is a little bit different compared to the conventional way in the recruitment space. So, so what makes you a little bit different? It is a little bit different, and I have the feeling that I thought about this pricing structure because rental businesses, I found, are price sensitive. So there's probably two reasons. Maybe they don't see a lot of values in using recruiters. Probably they have been burnt before. There's, there's a few reasons behind that. But um, I decided to move to, instead of charging a percentage of somebody's salary, I decided to go on flat fees. So you know upfront what your costs are. So um, no matter how the the final salary can be of a person, the final uh, package doesn't matter, you know that upfront you're gonna pay that certain amount of money. I find it very transparent because they know exactly that I represent the candidates for the market value and, uh, and they know that I'm not gonna inflate salaries just to get a bigger fee myself. So I find it very transparent on both sides and so I found that also I'm more credible. So when I say this person, this is what they need to accept the offer, they tend to listen because I have no, I I have no returning saying something that is not factual. Mm. So, yeah, I like that piece around you not inflating the salary to try and Hmm. earn more more money as part of the deal. Yeah. You can see how businesses could could have a bad reputation in recruitment where someone just wants to get that extra $10,000 bump, not caring about both parties, but purely just from a commission standpoint. That's right. I think that's, uh, I never even thought of that before, but that's that's a really good point. And sometimes it's also detrimental for the candidate because if the candidate is uh, misrepresented in terms of salary, they might miss out on getting an interview because if I present you for somebody that is clearly, you know, it is, has a salary that is more than what their actual salary is, a company might think, I'm not even going to interview because I can't get there. And so it works well for both parties involved, I think. Mm. You might just piss off a few other recruiters along the I way. Probably will piss, <laughs> I probably will piss off a few people, sure. Um, I'm sure there's other reasons. Like, and, and, and to be fair, I can make this decision because that's my business and I can decide, I can decide how much I charge and, and, and what I can charge. But I also found that the model of a percentage of a salary is something that is, it's always been like that, has never been changed. There's no real reason why it should be a percentage or why it should be a flat or, you know, so mm. I can make those decisions now. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Having, having complete control. Complete control over what you do and how you do it. Yeah, that's good. So then there's the term going around as the great resignation. I've seen that term yes. float around a few times. So have you seen a bit of a change in the market over the past 12 months, you would say? I've seen a change in the market. I probably wouldn't call it the great resignation just because it's not that people are quitting left, right and center. They probably have re, there's probably more of a rethink about what people want. And it's more a matter of can my employer match what I want now? 
people have changed and candidates and their expectations have changed massively dramatically in the last couple of years after a couple of years of COVID and lockdowns and things. A lot of people realize that commute is a killer. They've realized that some jobs can be done as equally as as um, good as home than from the office. And so, um, and, and some people they've realized also work is not everything in life and they just want to have more time to spend with their family. So the massive shift that I've seen is around flexibility and a genuine flexible model where you can go to the office, it's encouraged to go maybe a couple of days a week, but you can work from home. And flexibility even within your working hours. I know a lot of working moms or single parents or that where they would be struggling in getting your typical eight to five or nine to five position and miss out on a lot of opportunities for that reason. Or a lot of people have kids pick up to do at 3.30 p.m. That's right in the middle of the day. But again, does it matter how long a person works as long as they can bring in the results? Um, I don't think it does. There are some jobs, if you're a hire controller, you need to be there. The branch is open from this time to the, like you can't just do it from home. You need to have an understanding of what equipment is there, like what the stock, like repairs, blah, blah. But if you're a salesperson, at the end of the day, if you stop working from one to four and then start working again from four to eight, it doesn't matter. You have your targets and as long as you achieve them, you should be fine. Well, it was quite funny when we recorded the podcast with Greg Parfit out of the Orange Hire office. Yeah. I got there and it was me and Greg in the office. That was it. <laughs> Not a single person. Not Everyone else was working from home. From home. Which is quite amazing that if you said that a hire business or a rental business was going to be completely remote to, like you said that three years ago, they, I would no, say it's impossible. It's there's, impossible. There's no way that it, it would ever happen. be feasible. Yeah. But the shift that COVID has played on the, all industries yeah. has, has has made that that mind shift change. That's right, and all businesses, and it's even probably it's even better. You spend less in um, uh, uh, corporate offices, and like you you have a little bit more variety. Hot desk. I also can also there are other ways to um, encourage collaboration from within the team rather than just sitting in an office where sometimes you don't even talk to the person next to you. So um, yeah, there's been a big shift in what people want, and also. The best businesses, you, it's great that you mentioned Orange Hire, they do that particularly well. Um, best businesses are businesses that are understanding what their uh, people want and they are making that happen. And they make adjustments to make them happy because they will retain their staff. Yeah, I saw quite a funny TikTok where a manager was talking to their employee and then the employee said, am I achieving the results that you want as part of my targets? And they're like, yes. And they're like, uh, Perfect. And then they said, oh, we're coming back to the office now. But, but aren't I achieving my results? Like, no, we need you back at the office. And it's like, that, that's almost a trigger for someone to rethink, wait a second. It is. Like, why, like, why do I need to work full time in the office? Like, as you said, some roles that you some need roles to. you have to. It's great to have collaboration as well. Yeah. But flexibility is becoming a thing. Yeah. People have spent more time with their families. That's They've right. reduced the travel to and from work. Uh, all those sort of things which are changing the, the perception the of perception. What, what it means to actually have a job now. That's right. And also, if you ask me, if you want me to be there, um, it screams to me micromanagement. It screams to me, you don't trust what I do. And so it almost makes the opposite effect saying, all right, then I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to look for something else because why do you need to physically be see the person and, and watch on their shoulders what they do and what not? Again, they're bringing in result leave them be yeah <laughs> so 
So what are some of the misconceptions do you think around recruitment? Like sometimes recruitment's got a bit of a bad name for some yes. of the stuff we spoke about before. Yeah. What are some of those myths, I guess, out there and how do you sort of combat them, do you think? So a myth that I think is out there is that recruiters do very little and add little value and overcharge for that. So the assumption is that recruiters essentially are getting a CV off, I don't know, whoever is interested and they just flick it to a hiring manager and that's essentially what we do. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because this is a conversation that I had, I have sometimes with business owners and I'm thinking, if he's thinking this, probably other business owners will, will think exactly the same. They think recruiters, we just like chuck CVs and not do anything else. And the myth is, again, no value or overpriced. I don't think, I think we do add a lot of value in what we do. Um, it is an industry that deserves a little bit more respect and a little bit more recognition. It's actually an industry that can shape organizations depending on the people that you put in. People are a very important aspect of, uh, it's probably the essential aspect of every organization. And it's funny how people see recruiters as you know, not a, a trusted partner. It's, they just see them as a transactional operator that just chucks people in and out. Um, so what I wanted to say is the recruitment process, the problem that we have is we can't, we have a problem in explaining what that recruitment process looks like. So we do a lot of good things, but we're bad at articulating what we actually do. And what we do is not just flicking a CV. We are essentially immersed in our market. We research companies, we research direct competitors. We talk to a number of people, we attract them, we engage with them. We present you with people that you can hire, you can interview on within a due time frame. It probably companies will take them months to get to the same results. Um, negotiation, um, reference checks. There's, there's a lot of stuff that goes a simple, uh, what is called simple recruitment process. And especially these days where the talent market is so tight, you wanna you want to utilize a recruiter also to better brand your, the, the company itself. Um, so sometimes it's also a matter of perception from a candidate perspective. If they are approached by a recruiter, they know that the business is solid because they have outsourced their recruitment process to a professional and they pay this professional a fee in order for them to find them people. So it also can add on to their the company branding as well. We acting as brand ambassador effectively of the companies that we are presenting. We tell stories, we tell the journey, we engage people, we make them excited about coming and joining a business. And that is a, a very valuable um, aspect of our job that sometimes not really recognized, I think. Well, like trust is a big thing for me. So I, I remember when I was recruiting for a role, I called you first and yes. said, hey, look, I'm looking to fill this position. Uh, it's not in the direct hire space, but it'd be great if they have some knowledge of it. And then you openly said, I'm not the best person to source this person. And you put me in contact with Jesse. Yes. That's hey, Jesse, right. you're doing a great job. So, so Jesse's been you're amazing. You're welcome, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse's amazing. He's, he's done a great job so yes. far and he's helping us out. But the fact that you, you just didn't say, yep, I can do it. And then you took on that job builds even more trust. I realize Freddie truly wants to try and be a partner rather than just flicking CVs, as he said. I would have wasted your time. I would have probably not given you the right people. And yeah, maybe we wouldn't even be here today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there you go. It's long-term thinking. And that's something that sometimes a lot of industries not really thinking about long-term and what the impact of the action that you have today can have onto that relationship long-term. 
short-term thinking is never a good thing. So for me, I'm very passionate about communicating and sharing experiences and having people on the podcast that truly love the equipment rental industry. Like when you're recruiting for someone, like can you tell whether they're truly passionate about it or they just see it as another job? I think I can, after many years, I my guts is telling me, my helps me to recognize who says the things because I wanted to hear them and who is actually genuine about it. Um, people that have a passion, they just don't move for salary, they move for reasons, uh, they move for career progression, they know a lot about the industry, they're passionate about, even when it comes to the length of my conversation. When I have half an hour conversation with a person talking about people that we know, laughing, getting excited about, and like talking about products and applications and stuff, I can feel the person is genuinely excited about the industry and working for this industry. When And sometimes, again, it, it, it's a gut feeling. Sometimes I just understand people, they're not overly happy in one position. They just plot along. And that's, I feel, because it's such a niche industry, this industry is very incestuous and people are moving from one company to another company to another company doing essentially the same thing without really a real reason apart from maybe a little bit of money or different manager or that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and on the flip side, higher businesses are in a way more attracted by whoever has an experience in, in equipment rental. That is why you see people moving from one company to another. There's not a lot of fresh blood coming into the industry. I've seen a shift lately, which is great and is beautiful to watch because you get new ideas from, from people that are coming from outside that do things differently. But typically speaking, wh when I get a job brief, I'm asked, find me this, this and that. And there's usually experience within rental. Mm. Yeah, and I guess if you don't have that experience in rental, for me, it's about showing initiative or being, drive. Be, being interested in, being interested in like yeah. asking questions, yeah. wanting to learn, yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. How do you find someone that's actually got those qualities? Because it's so easy for someone just to say that they're, that, that those, that they're those things. That they have those things. That's the most challenging aspect. The most challenging aspect is when um, I usually, as a selection method, I look at work history and there's some assumptions that you make. So if somebody was selling this product to this market and to these people, they could be a good fit because essentially they'd be selling to the same people and stuff. When you're speaking with people coming completely outside of the industry, there's other other qualities that you're looking at. Um, drive, enthusiasm, um, sales process and sales cycles. So I ask probing questions about what questions do you ask to your customers? What are your favorite questions to ask to customers? Um, what sort of customers you find difficult to deal with? What not? There's a bunch of questions that I can ask that are open-ended and they open up a good conversation and that allow me to understand if it can be a good fit or not. This is the trickiest, by the way, this is the trickiest aspect because when I am asked to find somebody from outside and I've got not a lot of parameters, um, I will go with my gut feeling and just uh, vouch for the person, essentially. I've got two very funny stories around recruitment. Hmm. In, uh, so I was with Gary Radford up in Queensland yeah. last week uh, and we were talking about filling roles and he had a lot of people in his office and I was like, oh, where, he seems pretty switched on. Where did you find him? And he said, oh, I found him at Barbecue Galore. And I was like, Barbecue Galore? Hmm. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, so I was trying to buy a barbecue and he was like super passionate 
about about solving my problem when it comes to the barbecue. And I asked him what he was doing. He was studying a similar field around electrical engineering. And then he was like, do you want a job? <laughs> and so then he actually and recruited someone from barbecues barbecue purely because of his, of, his, of his passion. The passion. other person that he recruited was he took his biking for a repair. There was heaps of people in, in the counter getting, getting yelling at people there. And he was super calm. Under all this chaos, he was super calm. And then he got to the counter yeah. and said, how are you so calm? Like, why, why aren't you freaking out? And then he was like, oh, that's just my personality type. I was like, do you want a job? Do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's Brilliant. quite amazing, isn't it? Like yeah. you see these people and he, he didn't go in there and recruit based upon the skill, but the skill. based upon the trait that that person has. And I think when you're trying to find someone for a role, obviously yeah. it's great if they've got higher experience. Yeah. But if someone's got those qualities, yes. and I guess you can use like disc profiles to do stuff like that. Yes. But I think that's a huge advantage when you can recruit the right personality types Absolutely. for the role as well. Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, there are some qualities that are genuinely good for every sales um, aspect. If you're driven, if you're competitive, you're coming from a sports background, you usually have that sort of uh, competitive nature. There's there's a few aspects that you can, um, that need to be there, specifically in sales jobs. And the other stuff is teachable, product is teachable, clients are teachable but the personality the drive the willingness to to achieve that's not teachable yeah that's something that needs to come from within yeah yeah so so what advice would you give to young young freddie what advice i would give to young freddie will probably be uh be less judgmental on myself um i find that like we are our biggest enemy and I found that I've been, um, I am critiquing myself a lot in a lot of things. Sometimes I think, you know, I could be smarter, I could be richer, I could be, you know, I could be so many other things. And I find that that negative self-talk, it's something that has prevented me to uh, achieve stuff or maybe to achieve stuff faster just because I have a lot of self-doubts every day. Um, it can be when I'm making a phone call, it can be when I was about to open my, my business. Um, I feel like having a more positive outlook on, on yourself and, and, and talk to yourself in a kinder way helps you achieving better things in life, in relationships, in, at work and yeah. So I'd say be kinder with yourself. That would be my, yeah. my advice. I love your post-it note story. Like, I think that's such a good <laughs> example. I yes. like just read it every day. Every day there. Just like, it's got to be the day. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people are very hard on themselves when it comes to anything. And when it comes it's to so anything. easy to, even like with this podcast, I, I interview people and I think they do a great job when they listen to it and they think, oh, I sound really bad. Yeah. You're always going to be your biggest critic. Yes. And the perception that you have on yourself is completely oh, different to what everyone to what, around you has. That's right. And I'll tell you this. Um, I was in Melbourne a couple of weeks for work. I went there for a few meetings and I went there by myself. Um, I was there a couple of days and I went out for dinner by myself. So I walked into a nice Italian restaurant, ordered food, had a glass of wine. And I had a moment there where I almost started to cry by myself at the restaurant thinking, wow. I'm by myself, I'm alone, I'm here, I'm alone. I've got, you know, I've got, sure, I've got all these things happening at work, but like, I'm here by myself. Nobody can share these experiences with. So I sent a picture to my, uh, I sent a photo to my friend and my friend came back saying, oh my God, that's amazing. Such an independent, great woman. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, perception. I perceived myself in that moment as a bit of a loser, 
dining by myself, you know, <laughs> like that. And my friend was like, wow, that is, that is amazing. That's the definition of success is like how, see how you do, you do so well, so independent, you can do all these things. So again, I should have said, I, I should have looked at myself and thinking, yeah, I'm here. I'm here for work because I've achieved this and this and that. And I'm at Me- in Melbourne to go on work meetings by myself. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, see? That's so good. Perception and yeah. Yeah, so talking about perception, like I've definitely had conversations with companies that clearly are, are shifting their perception and they're, they're trying to figure out how they can promote women within their organization, give them opportunities. And I think those companies need to share those stories more. They need to share those success stories. Success stories. Because I think when we start sharing those stories with other people around the world, yeah. we can start saying, hey, so-and-so is now the service manager at company X, Y, and Z, yeah. and she got there by doing this, this and this is her career path. Yeah. Uh, the the Hire Mental Industry Association has the Women in Hire program. Yeah. Uh, there's a few Facebook groups out there as well. Um, they're the sort of things like we need to we share those stories more and promote it and promote them yeah yeah also from a from a female's perspective you would think all right construction job you might just think about the heavy like uh, labor intense construction job there's not a lot of education of the variety of work uh, that can be done in this organization uh, that goes beyond you know internal sales and accounting like there's a lot of stuff that can be done um, and I think that also needs to be yeah, needs to be spoken about a little bit more to attract these this people. We um we had the fleet office come on on the podcast and they they put trackers and stuff like that on the, on heavy machinery and, mm. and one of the things that they had was how rough the operators were with the machine in yeah. terms of like going outside the guidelines and whatnot. Some pr- pretty amazing technology to see who is the most roughest on the on the on the um, the equipment. And they found that the top five people well, uh, for the safest and the best drivers were women. Yeah. And so that, that should be something that should be blasted should be- all over. Like our best uh, operators from a safety standpoint and from the wear and tear of the machine is females. I think those sort of stories are stories that we should promote. We should promote. Yeah, that's great. So, so you talked about success before. You said your friend was um, <laughs> was seeing yes, you having a a, dinner by yourself, and that she's like, "That's success." So, how how do you define success? Look, my definition of success changed a lot, and I understand that everyone has his own opinion. Um, funnily enough, I thought that my idea of success it was being successful but when other people were seeing me successful. So I was thinking I'm successful when other people will look at me and recognizing me as a successful person. Um, whereas now uh, success, I'm th- it's more, comes from, from within. It's more being self-content with what you have and what you have achieved and where you're going, having a sense of purpose for what you do and not linking that success feeling to what other people are thinking of you. Um, So I was always comparing myself with other recruiters or other people or whoever was in a sort of similar situation with me. And that was robbing me a little bit of happiness in a way that I was always feeling that I was lacking in here and there. Um, Success is just being happy with what you have and what you have achieved and having a life that sort of fulfills you. Yeah, I love yeah. the quote, uh, comparison is a thief of joy. Of joy. Yeah. That is very true. 
when you allow other people or when you are comparing yourself to what other people have achieved, they have a completely different story. They have, they've gone through different struggles. No, we are very unique in, 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 in every single way. And if you compare yourself to other people, that's where you start feeling maybe an underachiever or you start feeling that you haven't had, you know, you haven't been as successful. Yeah. which is something you should avoid. You should look at yourself and thinking, look how far I've come. I feel content with myself. Yeah, like, yeah, focus on yourself focus rather on yourself. than others. Yeah, try and be a better version of Freddie from yesterday rather than comparing, comparing whoever else is doing whatever else they're focusing on out there. Because yeah, in the end, like, the, the more that you focus on yourself, the more content you're going to be on what you are achieving and what that means for you, as you said, as what defines success. Yes, agreed. All right, Freddie. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Mm -hmm.